Hi, good morning, church. Hi. Um, today I get, my name is Samantha, and today I get the opportunity to read our verse for today. It's Acts 9, 1 through 28. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners in Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales from Saul's eyes uh, fell from Saul, uh, Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't the man who raised Havok in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. To start our time, um, I really just want to pray for this morning, but also pray for, um, obviously, the people in Evalde, and this is the first time they've gathered as churches since the horrific events, and I just want us to join with them in doing that, so join me, if you will. Father, it's hard to even resonate with the amount of terror and horror that was experienced this past week. And it's so easy to be at a loss for words in this, and yet one of the promises that David identified in his Psalm 23 is that you go with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't just meet us on the other side, but you are with us as we go through those things, and you are with those families as they're going through this unexplainable time. Father, I do pray for the, the churches and our brothers and sisters and the pastors that are preaching that they truly can be the presence of you in the midst of such chaos, not preaching a religion of that's apart from you, but literally being your presence, your hands and your feet. God, you have called us to weep with those who weep, Rejoice with those who are rejoicing, so we align our hearts with yours 
around this, Father. God, I pray for your outpouring of your love and your peace, a peace that goes beyond comprehension. God, I pray for your truth. I pray for those families and those churches and our brothers and sisters for that whole community. God, I pray for those teachers that, that stand the gap every single day with those kids and how horrifying an event is for that as well. So I lift them up to you. So God, I pray for this morning. I pray for those churches. I pray for us that the evil that we face, we could see it simply as something that are lies and distraction and cycles that are started and developed in lives. But you have called us to renewal. You have called us not to just an act of religion, but allowing the piercing of your Holy Spirit to change things. So God, we lift this up to you. We ask you for help. In your name, amen. God be with them. As Sam read an amazing story about a man whose name was Saul and then became Paul, who was living out a mission for his life that really he probably thought he was doing it in some way in the name of the Lord of protecting something that he saw was right and good. And he found himself in this closed circle, if you will. And one of the most dangerous places we can find ourselves is in those closed circle of thought or reason, where we're simply relying on an inner coherence or our own logic to interpret events. Saul was an example of such a circle in his own life. In his, this scenario, he is incredibly dangerous because he is one with the approval to take life. And he already had his mind set on those who were a threat to a safe future. So the circle that he was living within or protecting himself within was like this, was that his authority confirmed his opinion. And his opinion therefore justified his actions. And his actions reinforced his, his authority. It's a circle of things that who he was, the authority he was given, confirmed his opinion. He said, I must be right. I'm in charge. His opinion justified his actions because this is what I think. So therefore, I'm going to do this. And his actions were reinforced his authority. You see, any kind of violence, abuse, distraction of any kind in order to appear rational for the person who's perpetuating it needs people who are trapped in these closed circles. These closed circles of thought are not just unique for those who are in the kind of violence Saul was in. Closed circle of thought is also those for who are very religious. This is what I believe. I'm around people who believe the same kind of thing. It justifies my opinion about other people. I'm going to continue in this closed circle. Maybe a different way of saying this is this idea of confirmation bias. It's the idea of just life existing in a circle. This idea of developing a quick belief about a situation or another person and then seek out information that bolsters that belief that you have. This is as simple as you have uh, been hurt by somebody or you observe somebody who's not behaving in a certain way and you go to somebody else to, ve to verify their behavior. Like, isn't this person a jerk? Yeah, I think they're a jerk too. And there you do, you've bolstered a circle of thought. An example of this would be, uh, uh, sometimes you might be scrolling, scrolling through a, a news feed, scrolling through social media, and, and we see links to articles. And when you, what are you more likely to click on? The articles that reinforce you, what you already think? Or do you click on ones that oppose what you think? If you're like many people, you click on the ones that already reinforce it. If you click on the ones that are the opposite of what you think, you read it just to think how, but how dumb they are. But how little do we click on other things just to go, I want to hear more. You might do that, and that's amazing. But a closed circle of thought is continuing to reinforce what you already think. Researchers have found this result again and again. 
when people have the opportunity to collect information from the world, they are more likely to select information that supports their pre-existing attitudes, their beliefs, and their actions. Political partisans seek out media outlets to support their side, but rarely challenging their beliefs by seeking out the other side's perspective. This isn't just a political thing. And Saul is caught in this circle. We also do this when um, we interpret our bias in text messages we might receive. You read something and it's within your circle of thought and you're like, I can't believe the attitude this person had. I'm always amazed at the stories we can tell from flat line text messages. Might be the way we overheard something. And that's according to our circle of processing. Another way of saying this might also be like, hmm, that's, this is how I interpret what I heard or what you said. Did I get that correct? That seems too difficult to do. We'd rather just interpret it as we interpret it. Because there's an actual power of taking a posture of curiosity at times. To go, huh, this doesn't seem right. Can you tell me more about what you meant? You see, this confirmation bias is really, really dangerous. In a more of a lighthearted way, though for, not for some, early on in American Idol, you remember that show? I guess it's still on. But early on in American Idol, they loved to show the auditions of people who you wondered, why in the world are they auditioning for this show? Right? I mean, they, have, they can't find a note they're doing things, they're flat as can be, whatever it is. And they kind of raise them up as like an entertainment. Now, some of them, I'm like, how much did they pay those people to audition? But some of them must have been amazing actors because there was that moment where they gave their heart out and they sang and they were doing something else besides singing. And when the judges stopped them and gave them honest feedback, they heard it maybe it looked like for the first time. Wait, you mean I can't actually sing? But my mom said I could sing. Because often what we do is we surround ourselves with a certain cause of bias. Now, I'm not saying don't be encouraging to one another. But we tend to spotlight things that support what we already think. And then we draw conclusions from those spotlighted scenes. And then we kind of congratulate ourselves as on a well-thought-through decision or reaction. Back to Saul. We see a man living out what he believes to be his truth. He, he believes it to be his life mission. But in reality, he's caught in a cycle and a circle of thought. And in order for renewal to happen in a man like this, God must pierce that circle. Because in many ways, that's what renewal is, is the piercing of the circle of thought that we are trapped in. But that hurts because it exposes. It causes us to think a little different. One of the verses that Sam just read for us is this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It was in this moment that Saul's circle of reasoning and thought was pierced by God. Yes, it was a persecutor who was confronted and stopped in his tracks, but equally powerful, the rationality of his circle of thought was shattered. You see, the presence of God does that. When you are aligning yourselves, when we align ourselves with the actual presence of God and not just a circle of reasoning, it shatters us. You may be thinking, I don't want to get shattered. <laughs> it's a shattering for good things, though. Because it might be something, nothing is more loving than to stop the current cycle of thought that may be leading us places. They're actually away from him even in the name of God. God's question is too massive for Paul 
to handle. Why? Because God's question is intimate. God's question is this. Why are you persecuting me? Or why are you hurting me? When I was a kid and the Sunday school lessons would be taught to me in such a way, this was just my experience. That this story was a popular one and it almost would be told as if God's voice was booming and strong and intimidating, kind of like Hulk Hogan. Right? Kind of a, oh, that's somebody else. But, but like this moment of like, I am big, you are small, and this kind of this... But I think if you really look at this question in the tangent, it's almost, this, it, it's a question that kind of models after the poor and the needy. Maybe the voice of a child. Not out of weakness, but out of sincerity of like, why? Paul, why are you doing this to me? Saul realizes that he's now on a road that even though he was using it to travel to persecute this place has been made holy ground because the presence of God makes any place holy ground. And then he asks the right question of God. Who are you? Who are you, Lord? You see, this is a question that breaks his confirmation bias, that breaks his cycle of violence. This is a question that we are all invited to ask. And this one is hard to ask, especially if you're like, I've been a Christian for a long time. I went to Bible school. I went to seminary. I know who God is. And as soon as we think we've come to the complete understanding of who God is, we are now in a cycle. We are now in a circle. We're missing. He says, who are you, Lord? So I'm going to ask you, when's the last time in your heart you looked at God and you're like, God, who are you? I mean, who are you really? Am I missing it? Am I experiencing it? Jesus' clear response to Saul's question moves him from being this abstract idea to a concrete Jesus, to a little reality. And there's a stark truth here in this conversation that's so poignant, we sometimes ignore it, that Saul, for the first time, experience Jesus. This is a transition from like knowing about Jesus, from reading books, from being a part of something where you talk about him, that you can, might even be able to defend it in, a, in, in, a, in an argument. Paul was an incredibly educated, powerful man who aligned himself with the religion of kind of keep God happy, but this Jesus guy was trouble. For the first time, why did Paul's life change or Saul's life change and then it became Paul? He actually experienced, like open up the heart, Jesus took residence in his life. The question I want to ask you as I asked myself this week, what are you experiencing? Is it Jesus? My experience growing up, I, I, I'm pretty sure my mom gave birth and on the way home from the hospital, we went to church. <laughs> pretty sure that's how it happened. I was also the youngest of six kids. She's like, someone's got to watch this kid. Who signed up to do the nursery? That's them. And much of my, my early faith journey and, and education uh, within that journey, I think was really reinforced that uh, this idea, like if you couldn't explain it, it wasn't true. That's just kind of how we approach things. We kind of pushed away the, anything that felt mystical. We kind of pushed away anything that felt beyond uh, what, was what, what we could think of, right, basically. And I, and I don't blame, I don't look back and go, they were so wrong. It's just kind of the circle of thought that we got caught up in. And I remember getting the impression from other people who went to the same church, or at least the same kind of church I went to, that I should be leery of other churches who did things differently than we did. I mean, these were like leery of other churches who also followed Jesus, but it might have been a little bit different than how we followed Jesus. So I remember being in high school and having my driver's license and being able to drive. And I would drive past some of these other churches. And they had scary names like 
Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran. And I remember actually being a little afraid of them. Like, I wonder what goes on in there. Because, and then I would wonder, why don't they just join our church? Like, because we're doing it right, so they should just join us. And then there was this kid who came to my youth group. He moved into town from another city. And I met him, and I got to know him, and he's like, oh, yeah, I went to church back home, and I, what's the name of the church he went back home? And he went to First Presbyterian Church, and I went, oh. I convinced I was now on the mission field. What reinforced these thoughts really was that I just was experiencing church. I just was experiencing routine, preference, ideas, thoughts. I really wasn't experiencing Jesus. I was encouraged to stay within my circle of reason and thought of how we thought versus really pushing myself out and understanding Jesus. I went away to a Christian college and I started meeting people from all sorts of faith backgrounds. And my world got shattered. Because for the first time I started going, wow, you love Jesus? But you didn't go to a Baptist church. This one really blew my mind. One of my good friends grew up Catholic. Now some of you might want to write me emails after this right away. (laughs) This boy knew Jesus. And I'm like, how did that happen? He's like, I don't know, I accepted him in my life. He took over my life. I'm a follower of Jesus. Because there's a difference between the routines of church and experiencing Jesus, my friends. And you're like, wait, you're our new pastor. What are you saying to us? What I'm saying to you is there is a huge difference of the routine of church and experiencing Jesus. When Paul experienced Jesus, his circle of thought was pierced. The men traveling with Saul, back to the story, stood there speechless. They heard the sound but not see anyone. Something amazing is happening in this moment, no doubt, right? They're getting a vision. There's an audible voice of Jesus talking. There is a light. I mean, that's an understatement. Paul could see Jesus. These men just heard the voice. In this moment, we see something so specific about God that I want you to hear. That God pursues you. God has something so unique for you. His experience for Saul and that road was unique to Saul. Sure, other people could hear it, but Saul heard it directly from God. You see, he comes to us one at a time. Even if he, even if he moves in all of us, he's still coming to you in your moment. You're not simply a part of a movement. You are the movement. Renewal isn't just something that happens in a church. A renewal happens within you because God is specifically talking to you. He talks to you uniquely in the singularity of your life, of your experience, of your schema, of your family of origin of your cycle, of your circle. He comes to you and he comes to me as only God can come to you, as God, as our God. It's a drawing, it's an awakening, it's an understanding. Handful of years ago, I had this dear, dear friend. Her husband came to Christ and she, she wanted to. She was brilliant. Her name was Allie. She was so, so smart. In high school, she went to uh, kind of, it was a faith-based school. I mean, really, that's, that's kind of the extent of it. And they had to write a senior thesis. And so she was one of those who was so smart in her head, but she was also, didn't really, wasn't down with the faith base. So her senior thesis was this, was how I know God had no part creating the world or starting the world. And that put her on a path within college where her mission was to get so smart around like that there is no God. She developed a career out of really, not just like evolution, but like science and understanding. But you would ask her, she goes, I'm just trying to convince, tell people there is no God. And she would say out loud, if you believe in a God, you are ignorant. But then her, her husband comes to faith and she doesn't know what to do with that. And at the same time, her husband is running for mayor of Maui. 
And he's making these commercials where he's quoting scripture. And she's like, ah. So she starts coming to church and she's looking around wondering why all these other people here. She goes, honestly, Dale, I thought I was now in a room of idiots. But they seem to enjoy what you were talking about. And they seem to nod your head and laugh at the appropriate times. And I'm like, what am I doing here? She got so close. She wanted to make an appointment. So we met and talked. She says, I hear what you say. I hear the Bible. I just, I, I understand it. I can repeat back your sermon. In fact, I went home and listened to your sermon like five or six times. I, I hear you. I don't disagree. I just don't feel it. She goes, How, what do I need to do to make that step into believing it? So we talked about that. And she goes, ah. she goes, maybe I need to get hit by lightning. And I go, Allie, I'm going to pray that you get hit by lightning. <laughs> she thought that was really weird for a pastor to say to her because it was really weird. I have never said that before. I'm going to pray that you get hit by lightning. You see, what Allie was looking for was some kind of reasoning into the kingdom, some kind of like intellectual thing, something that matched her for who she was here. God had a different way of going directly to Allie. The next day, no, she didn't get hit by lightning. <laughs> she called me and she goes, Dale, I was at the light, the traffic signal, turning in left into the mall. As I was sitting there, I swear to you, Dale, I didn't believe in Jesus. The light turned green. I turned left into the parking lot. And I said, wait, I do believe in Jesus. It feels like I've always believed in Jesus. I'm one of those ignorant Jesus followers now. She parked. She called me. She goes, Dale, Dale, Dale. I, I seriously thought like something like lightning happened. I would have been like, Cool. She goes, Dale, at the beginning of the turn, I did not believe in Jesus. At the end of the turn, I believed in Jesus. I go, why? She goes, I don't know. Because God was like, I'm going to be kind to you, Allie. I'm not going to argue with you over here because that's a circle of thought I don't want to penetrate. I'm going to penetrate you over here. I'm going to penetrate you here. It was like, Allie, I've always been with you. No matter what you've said, no matter how many people you've distracted, I've always been with you. Will you be with me? He goes, Dale, that's what he asked me. He asked me, will I be with him? I go, what'd you say? She goes, I said, yes. Does that make me a follower of Jesus? I'm like, yeah, Allie, it does. Now the mistake would be made if Allie's like, this is where, how you meet Jesus. And she brought everybody to the traffic signal. And like, if you turn left, you just meet Jesus here. This is like Jesus' left turn corner. That would be a shortcoming and that would be misinterpreting how God works, right? All of a sudden, like, this is how God works for everyone. You see, God is so unique and he's gonna meet you and he's gonna ask you, why? Why are you doing the things you're doing? Will you come back to me? I've been with you. I've been present. See, Paul's life, though, begins, or Saul's life begins with Jesus in total dependence on people. Sometimes we think about total dependence as like God's left me. But this is the very beginning of this man's faith. He is blind for three days. He has this physical dependence. He's re reliant on another using the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome his fear and reach out. He's relying on somebody to have the power of presence. And then he finds himself in deep need of a power of an advocate. Let's first look at this power of presence that somebody has with him. Ananias answered, answered God, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias was a good dude, but that's his circle of thought. Wait, 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 wait. You're asking me to go to this guy? This is what I've heard about him. But the Lord said in Ananias, go, piercing of the circle of thought. 
This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What's the mark of renewal in Ananias' thought? Then Ananias went right there. Movement, breaking. A few weeks ago, we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked about how the Spirit came and it gave them power to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Remember that? And how, that, how they would have heard that is? You're asking me to go back to a place of fear where Jesus just died. You're asking me to go back to this place of Samaria where we were outright racist towards people. You're asking me to go to those places of influence. And the scripture says the Holy Spirit gave them power to go to those places they did not want to go. This same sign, the Holy Spirit gave Ananias power to simply go be present with somebody he was fearful of. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said this, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has set me so that you may see again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. This is such an amazing, beautiful act of what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. It's the power of presence. It's the power of showing up when God says, will you go to this person? I'm guessing none of us are gonna be asked to go to a murderer of people. He might. But I'm also knowing that he asks us to go to a lot of people. Like, how do you know when God's asking you to go to somebody? I think we need to trust the thoughts or the names that God gives us. If God gives you a name, what does that mean? God gives me a name. It could mean this. It could mean that you are randomly doing something and all of a sudden you've thought about somebody that maybe you haven't thought about in a long time. Why not just trust that God gave you that name? It's not the devil telling you to call him. Trust it. You're like, oh, I'm just randomly thinking about things. But what if it was from God? What if it's from God and then you reach out to that person and you say, I was thinking about you. You have no idea what the power of presence is doing. I've been on the receiving end of the power of presence so many times. It has nothing to do with my role as a pastor. It has everything to do with a friend calling me and said, I was thinking about you in the middle of the night. Why? That's a weird question. He just likes to ask me that. Why? I'm like, I don't know. You ate some bad pizza? You couldn't sleep? He goes, no, what am I thinking about you about? There are times I'm like, this is what I'm going through. He goes, oh, that's why. Let me pray for you. There's other times I'm like, I have no idea. Maybe something's coming. There are complete strangers that come up to me and say, are you, are you Dale? Yes. Now this, for some of you, this might freak you out a little bit. Let's not practice church, let's practice Jesus. And they will say things to me that they should not know. Because there are times when God gives us a name or a person in our lives. He wants so desperately for that person to say, hey, I see you that he's asking you to show up in their life so that they say, hey, God sees me. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be crazy. It can just be like, hey, how you doing? There's a power of Ananias. God tells one person something that he really shouldn't know. What, 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 what should have Ananias not known? Ananias shouldn't have had any knowledge of what happened on that road at all. Ananias wasn't there. There wasn't the internet. People weren't texting. There was no form of communication that Ananias could have known at all what happened on that road. But he told him. So that when he went to him, he says, Jesus who met you on the road. Imagine what that would have done with Saul. Man, God sees me. Somebody else knows this to be true too. That's one of the biggest reasons why I believe God gives words maybe to tell somebody else. It's for, for them to know like, hey, God sees you. Because we have a circle of thought of how God works. 
of how God doesn't work. And sometimes he'll send somebody else to pierce that circle a little bit and just go like, hey, God sees you. Wait, this is outside of my theological thinking. God doesn't do this. Okay, I'll send somebody else. And I'll send a third person who didn't know those other two people and they're all gonna tell you the same thing. He sees you. He knows you. And Ananias touches him and he says these words, brother Saul. You know what the, vid- the ministry of Ananias is? He is already acting out of a conclusion that God has had for this person. The fact that Ananias could go up to him and say, brother, He's saying, God already's called him to be a brother. I'm going to act within the conclusion. This doesn't mean Ananias all of a sudden was like, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> this doesn't mean Ananias forgave him of everything. What Ananias is doing, and this is the power of what the Holy Spirit does, is I'm going to treat you as God treats you. I'm going to call you within the conclusion that God has already said about you, that you are a brother. We cannot say that Ananias no longer sees Paul as a dangerous killer but he takes him as what God God claims him to be. I think this is why it hurts so much when we get hurt in church. Because we'll come to church and we'll talk about God, how God sees us, how God loves us. And then we hear hurtful words from somebody who says they're following God. That's probably why it hurts so much. And so much damage can be done. And I repent of that damage. I repent of any words that I have said they need to be aware of. But God is calling us as a church to experience him in such a way that we reflect way more of God and way less of our circle of thought. Our presence with each other should really resemble how God sees us. Ananias disappears from this story altogether. He disappears. What a significant role that this man played at the beginning of Saul's life. The author of Acts, Luke, pointed out, though, he wanted us to know. For some reason, he wanted us to know that the thing Ananias did started something amazing. What did Ananias do? He showed up. He was present. Luke's makes sure that we saw the courageous acts of this disciple, even if Saul never did. You see, life with the Spirit gives us an imagination of what people can become. That's the beautiful part. Life in the Spirit and renewal, we start looking at each other. Man, this is who God can lead you. This is where God can be. You are an amazing person right now. I am so thankful that for some reason, God showed me and allowed me to see some in, in some young people's lives that he had his hand on them. And what that meant to me was that God was calling them to something different and unique. I didn't know what it was. But there was these moments where he would tell me, God, tell this person, tell this young man, tell this young woman, just say, God has his hand on you. And then I look back, that second song that we sang today about God's faithfulness, I can look back and go, there are so many of those moments, not by my wife, not by what I saw, but what God told me to tell these how many of those people are in ministry full-time? And I forget. And they're like, Dale, when I was 17, you said this to me. Oh, yeah, he said this to me when I was 17. Oh, I was 16 when he's at like, their own little competition. I'm telling you this one, it has nothing to do with like my psychic powers. God used me, and God wants to use you in an Ananias sort of way to speak truth and blessing when he shows it to you. So what's he showing you about somebody else? What's he showing you to say? Ananias stepped into that imagination that the Spirit gives us as if it was a reality already by calling Saul brother. But there's a voice of another follower that Jesus also, of Jesus that also played a significant role. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples talking about Saul. It's like, hey, I want to be part of your tribe. But they were all afraid of him. I understand why. They, he was out to kill him at one point. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him. And how Damascus, 
he, how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. What's happening here? Barnabas, known as the son of encouragement, took Saul at his word. He believed him. But nobody else did. He goes, I believe you. There's no fanfare that Barnabas gets. He doesn't get an award for doing this. But it's an action of marvelous faith. Barnabas was an advocate. He stood up for somebody who was being rejected by everybody else. He stood up for somebody that was experiencing being alone. He stood up for somebody that no one else believed. See, there's a power in the place of Ananias showing up and being present, but there is a power and a place in renewal where we need people who are gonna fight for other people, who are gonna say, it is not okay that you are experiencing this life alone, that you're being pushed away. You see, Saul will need this kind of help because he has become a traveling storm cloud that gathers more storm clouds to himself. And Saul is an example of the kind of person that is moving. He's moving towards this liminal space that he will always need help. He will always need friends. And he'll always look for community. Saul's moving towards the need for the pure church. Not attending a church, but people being the church. You see, renewal, renewal is experiencing Jesus which or who breaks the active cycle in our life. That's what renewal is. We're experiencing Jesus. And renewal continues and grows when each one of us takes on the role of an Ananias or Barnabas for another person. We've said from the beginning that renewal starts in the heart of a person and then it grows. What I'm saying so clearly to you today is that God did an amazing work by breaking the cycle of Paul, of Saul, but there's two people I never want you to forget because this is our role. The ministry of Ananias, the ministry of Barnabas. Ananias, the powerful ministry of just being present with people, my friends. Speaking those words that God has already concluded about that person. That you are a brother. That you are a sister. That God has something amazing and powerful for you that you're a child of God. And as we saw in the first chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit gave the disciples power to go to difficult places. I can think of no more difficult place than going to the place of the tormentor and calling them brother. For some of those difficult places are going to be somebody you don't know. That may seem terrifying to you. God has said, go bless this person. I remember standing in the 76, I don't know what it's called now, it's a gas station down at the end of Las Gatas Boulevard and there was a CHP officer standing there. Some of you know this story, it's one of my favorite terrifying stories. God said, ask him how his family is. I'm like, dear Lord, I don't even know him. You want me to go up and ask him how his family is? Yeah, ask him how his family is. All right. And so when I went up to him, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Because that's what we do. <laughs> I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? He's like, buying a drink. I'm like, this is literally what I said. Have you ever tried YooHoo? <laughs> I've never had YooHoo. But it was the bottle that was right in front of me. I heard YooHoo's good. He's like, chocolate water? That sounds disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, who wants you who? <laughs> He's going up to pay, and God just said, ask him about his family. And I'm like, man. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> uh, this sounds weird. I just felt like God asked me to see, hey, how's your family? And he looked at me. My wife and my kids my wife left me last night and took all my kids. I'm alone. I'm like, oh. 
I offered this man a yoo-hoo. <laughs> we prayed, we talked. He was from another area. He was just in town doing some stuff. I said, brother, will you find a pastor or a church? He goes, I will. I never heard from him again, but in that moment, I'm like, I couldn't wait for God to tell me something else. I came across a guy who I was convinced was homeless. He had just been camping. <laughs> I said, hey, brother, do you need a cup of coffee and this and that? And he's like, no. <laughs> so, okay, I was one for two. The power of Ananias doesn't just happen in crazy places like that. The power of Ananias happens right here. It happens across aisles. It happens in church. My hope is that we continue to be a church that when you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, I'm thinking about going to church today, it is not to consume. It's not to go, I wonder who's speaking. I hope Pastor Dale tells a funny story. It's I'm looking forward to being the power of Ananias to somebody else today. I'm looking forward to being in ministry. I'm looking forward to bless somebody. I'm looking forward to meeting God. And then there's Barnabas. Some of us is calling, this is a, this is a bigger thing, or just a, a harder thing maybe. Some of us, there's a powerful ministry of being an advocate for somebody, of standing up and fighting for them. They could be the victim of, of systematic racial discrimination. They need someone to speak on their behalf. They need someone to see them as they are. They need someone to embrace the justice for all people as God has designed they could also just mean, hey, I'm going to stand with this person. They're alone. They're sitting by themselves. I'm going to be an advocate for them and just sit with them and talk to them and, see, and find out who they are. When you see someone alone, either literally or relationally, the power to speak up for another so their current experience of isolation just will not continue. Each of us has this opportunity to literally every time we gather in person as a church, this should be the driving force that draws us together. Even if it trips in our mind, and who can I be to be, Ananias or Barnabas, in small, little ways? It could be an event where you see someone and you just feel like, man, I'd love to pray for that person. So you know how you're being Ananias or Barnabas in that moment? You just go up and like, hey, can I pray for you? You might think, what if they think I'm weird? Dude, that police officer thought I was weird. But I just have hope that something different happened in his life. If we go to church and someone thinks you're weird because offering prayer, we got a problem with our church. You know, you don't get a lot of credit for being an Ananias. And you may never ever know what happens. Aren't we all thankful that Ananias went to Saul? because Saul became the most prolific, one of the most prolific letter writers in the New Testament. He helped us understand Jesus. He helped us, under, a group of people, he helped us understand church. He helped us understand suffering. He helped us understand what it's like to be one thing and his life is radically changed. I've never thought about this till this week. I am so deeply thankful for Ananias that he said yes. I mean, deeply, deeply thankful. This changes church from simply observing to participating. So in this moment, I just want us to have a conversation with God. God wants to meet you uniquely in this moment. He wants to talk with you. I don't want to just hope that you get in your car and remember. We do this every week now. So I invite you to do it with me, just to sit before God it helps me to have a posture of receiving from God. So I put my hands up a lot. You don't have to. I just invite you into this. Is to hear from God what he has for you today. Hmm. Just start by asking God to show you if you're in a circle of thought or reason that's actually pushing him away, that it just needs to stop. Ask him to pierce that right now with his truth. Ask God who he wants you to be an Ananias or a Barnabas to. If there's somebody. I'm just going to ask you to, to trust the face or trust the name 
of the person he gives you. Just trust it. Not because something amazing is gonna happen for your benefit. This isn't about you. This is just how God works. Maybe there's someone sitting around you right now and you're like, I don't even know who that person is, but I feel like that's the person I'm supposed to bless. If you're the one that's sitting blinded or alone, and ask God right now, God, I need an Ananias. <laughs> I need a Barnabas in my life. I need a brother or a sister that'll reach out to me. I would say to those who are joining us online this morning, you may know everybody in the room that you're watching this with. If God's given you a name or a face, just text that person, call that person right now, reach out to them. Father, we sing great are you, Lord. We sing great you are, Father, and yet you are so intimate with each of us, which probably is what's greater than that, than a God who can meet us right where we are and yet reigns almighty in heaven above. With confidence, you invite us in to pursue you, so we thank you. Father, may you fill us with the power and ability to be the Ananias and Barnabas for others around us this week. In your name, amen. 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 You, so the man, you're welcome. The man that Ananias was present with and the man that Barnabas advocated for wrote this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. That is the power he's placed within you. God bless you. Have an amazing Memorial Day tomorrow. Let's remember well and celebrate well each other. Blessings.